Good morning. Welcome to the Medical Receptionist Network podcast. My name is Siobhan Atkins and welcome. We are currently recording episode 18. So thank you so much for being here today. I always like to mention, please visit our website, medicalreceptionistnetwork.com. You will be able to scroll to the bottom of the homepage and you'll find our affiliates and promotional links. We have some pretty good things going on here. If you check out Zlul, you'll get buy one, get one free off of your glasses. You always want to make sure you stay current with your prescriptions and, you know, have a little fashion along with that, Um, as well as planners and journals. We have the Law of Attraction Planner, as well as the Best Self Journal, very comprehensive planners and journals. You be able to keep track of everything and also get some of your thoughts onto paper uh, to help you better concentrate while you are working and working on other areas of your life. And also, if you are due for your CPR training, any other first aid interests, we are partnered here with Pro Training, so you can use our discount code, which is listed right there on the page for uh, your checkout. And there are other courses that you may very be very interested in. All of their courses are very comprehensive and informative, and you can do them at your own pace. So again, please uh, check out medicalreceptionistnetwork.com. You'll also find some uh, past articles uh, that are always available on our website. You have access to our online training, which is available um, for individuals. And if you're a group interested in the online training for your practice, feel free to send us an email and we can get you set up. Uh, You can also check out the Medical Receptionist Handbook to Success, which is available on our website as well as on Amazon. So that's basically sums up our intro. So today we're going to talk about quality measures. And I was thinking, what can we discuss um, that is a little different than, you know, where we normally go? We kind of focus on customer service and things like that. But today I wanted to get into the types of quality care measures. And uh, you may be familiar with MACRA and MIPS and things like that. So I just going to, I'm going to touch on a little bit of that. I'm going to read you some information, um, some things you may or may not be aware of. But your role, you know, definitely has a part in that in just obtaining information from patients, how you record things, especially if you're a medical receptionist with a dual role in your office. I know some medical assistants also do medical reception work and and vice versa. So, you know, it's always good to kind of know what's going on in the background so you understand why certain things are so important to your employer, to your physicians and um, your other practitioners. Okay. So I went on the internet and I was looking up what are the different types of quality care measures. And according to the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, the measures used to assess and compare the quality of healthcare organizations are classified as either a structure, process, or outcome measure known as the Donabedian model. I don't know if I chopped that word up, but please excuse me. This classification system was named after the physician and researcher who formulated it. So the first type of measure are structural measures. Structural measures give consumers a sense of health care providers' capacity, systems, and processes to provide high-quality care. For example, whether the healthcare organization uses electronic medical records or medication order entry systems, uh, the number of proportion 
the number or proportion of board certified physicians and the ratio of providers to patients. The other set of measures are process measures. Process measures indicate what a provider does to maintain or improve health, either for healthy people or those diagnosed with a healthcare condition. Those measures typically reflect generally accepted conditions for clinical practice. For example, the percentage of people receiving preventative services, such as mammograms or immunizations, or the percentage of people with diabetes who had their blood sugar tested and controlled. Process measures can inform consumers about medical care they may expect to receive for a given condition or disease, and can also contribute forward improving health outcomes. The majority of healthcare quality measures used for public reporting are process measures. And then lastly, we have outcome measures. Outcome measures reflect the impact of healthcare services or intervention on the health status of patients. For example, the percentage of patients who died as a result of surgery, surgical mortality rates, or the rate of surgical complications or hospital-acquired infections. So it's always good to uh, keep track of these things because you also want to know how to prevent them or what caused them. Uh, in order to, you know, to move forward in providing quality care. So lastly here it says, outcome measures may seem to represent the gold standard in measuring quality, but an outcome is the result of numerous factors, many beyond provider's control. Risk adjustment methods, mathematical models that correct for differing characteristics within a population, such as a patient health status, can help for the for these factors. However, the science of risk adjustment is still evolving. Experts acknowledge that better risk adjustment methods are needed to minimize the reporting of misleading or even inaccurate information about healthcare quality. But basically, you have structural measures, process measures, and outcome measures that all contribute into the quality uh, measures that providers, researchers, and and uh, groups have to provide. So I'm going to read you here. So based on uh, CMS, what is a what is the quality payment program? The Medicare Access and Chip Reauthorization Act of 2015, also referred to as MACRA, ended the sustainable growth rate formula, which would have made major cuts to payment rates for clinicians participating in Medicare. The law requires us to implement the quality payment program and give you the following two ways to participate. So the two ways that your groups or uh, medical facilities may be participating are either through MIPS, which is a merit-based incentive payment system, which is a program that will determine Medicare payment adjustments using a composite performance score. Eligibility clinicians may receive a payment bonus, a payment penalty, or no payment adjustment. And that is according to the aapmr.org and also defined here uh, by on the CMS website. You're able to find tons of information regarding MIPS and any of the payment models. So under MIPS, uh, and this is according to CMS.gov. Under MIPS, there are four performance categories that affect your future Medicare payments. Each performance category is scored by itself and has specific weight uh, that's part of the MIPS final score. So the MIPS payment adjustment assessed for MIPS eligible clinicians is based on the final score. And this is why it's so important for your groups uh, to collect certain information, and especially if you're using the electronic medical record system, because these changes were made with um, 
Medicare and Medicaid, there, a lot of the uh, measures are built into the charting, built into the actual EMR to where you're able or your managers and uh, you know other administrative staff are able to pull reports based on whatever measures your particular practice is responsible for uh, to submit. Okay, so the four measures, number one is quality, which is 45% of the MIPS final score. The second would be promoting interoperability, which is 25%. This is as of 2020, guys, so sometimes these uh, this information is updated, but this is the most recent available uh, today. And then the cost, 15% is cost, and then improvement activities is 15% of the MIPS final score. So what is the MIPS annual call for measures? The annual call for measures process asks stakeholders and others for their feedback. That includes clinicians, professional associations and medical societies that represent eligible clinicians, researchers, consumer groups, and other stakeholders. And I'm just gonna read briefly um, what that means and you know what what they're asking so specifically we are asking them to send us quality measures for consideration in the quality performance category so remember when we mentioned quality uh performance um that includes those four uh measures i just uh per four different categories okay so Stakeholder recommendations are part of our vigorous quality measure selection process. It's unlikely that stakeholders will send us measures or activities that they don't think apply to clinicians or can be reliably or validly measured at the individual clinical level. As part of our quality measure selection process, we ask stakeholders to recommend quality measures by submitting specifications as well as related research and background to us to, for us to review and consider. This information helps us to know if suggested quality measures apply to clinicians and are feasible, reliable, valid at the individual clinician level, evidence-based, and scientifically acceptable. So um, when they call for measures, that means that they are looking for new things that may need to be included in MIPS and why and that they are able to actually measure them because some things, I guess, you, you cannot collect enough feasible and reliable information uh, to provide um, a good uh, outcome at the end. You know, if you gather all this information and it doesn't give you any answer or it doesn't help uh, providers be more either proactive with their patients or give them more information on how to treat patients, then it, it wouldn't be worth the time to um, implement a new, call, a new measure, right? So currently, we won't accept Government Performance and Results Act GPRA measures that tribes and urban Indian health organizations are already required to report as quality measures. There are many GPRA measures that are similar to measures that are already in the program. Also, some GPRA measures are similar to measures that are part of a core quality measure collaborative, also known as CQMC, core measure set. As much as possible, we want to reduce the duplication of measures and align with measures used by private payer health insurances. If there are measures reportable with GPRA that don't duplicate MIPS measures, we urge our stakeholders to work with measure owners to submit them during our annual call of measures. So then it says, when do we pick measures? 
We use stakeholders' feedback to pick measures and activities that are applicable, feasible, scientifically acceptable, reliable, valid at the individual clinician level, unique in comparison to existing measures and activities for notice and comment rulemaking. So here we go. What are quality measures? Quality measures are tools that help us measure or quantify healthcare processes, outcomes, and patient perceptions that go with being able to give quality healthcare. Quality measures also help us link outcomes that relate to one or more of these quality goals for healthcare. Effective, safe, efficient, patient-centered, equitable, and timely. So that's how you can see where your role even plays a part because these areas are everyone's responsibility and in a medical practice, right? So while I'm, I'm gonna tell you this is a pretty big document and I'm not gonna read everything, I'm trying to give you an idea of what they're using to um, determine the incentives and what is required of most groups that are a part of um, Medicare and other, you know, other reporting payment systems and what they have to submit and collect information wise. So uh, let's see. They also have the information here. How do they pick quality measures and what is the submission process? And I'm going to actually read what is the submission process because sometimes you may not understand why things are going on in the background of your office and what your management teams are, are working on. And um, this is part of it. And a lot of these measures have due dates and things of that nature. So it's, you know, they, it, and it has to be done. So it says the customary ONC JIRA platform will not be used for 2020 measure submission. CMS is implementing a new submission process to accommodate the unique circumstances of this pre-rule making cycle. For the 2020 submission period, and obviously it's now 2021, um, stakeholders can submit candidate quality measure spe specifications and all supporting data files to CMS review. So people are literally submitting packages, um, uh, spreadsheets of information that they collected throughout a year's time. And there's also emails that they're providing and the submission period uh, for 2020 was opened on January 22nd and closed on January 30th. So there is a great amount of time that you have to submit that information. If, if complete test data is not available by June 30th, or if new data is collected thereafter, measured stewards are asked to submit the data to the same email no later than Friday, that's September 2020. So um, I guess there were a lot of changes in 2020 because it also says here, due to the challenging time we are facing uh, with during this 2020 pre-rule-making cycle, CMS is offering the September 4th extension to enable measure developers to provide any new testing-related supporting data and to update any testing-dependent measure specifications for new 2020 candidate measures that were submitted prior to June. So I, I'm thinking 2020 was just a, an interesting year all around. Um, so here is a little more information about, I'm gonna tell you about the merit-based incentive payment system. And then I'm going to just read a few. There's about 86 as of last year, um, quality measures. So 
Now this would be for all different types of practices and what they have to measure and what they have to submit. So I'm just gonna read a couple of them, what they are, what they are so you know they may be something that qual um, that affects your group, right? So first we have the merit-based incentive payment system. The Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act of 2015 ended the sustainable growth formula, which we already read about. Uh, the program referred to as the quality payment program provides two participating pathways for clinicians, MIPS, which is the merit-based incentive payment system and advanced alternative payment uh, models, which is referred to as advanced APMs. MIPS combines three Medicare legacy programs. The physician quality reporting system MIPS, uh, excuse me, PQRS, which is also probably familiar to many of you, value-based payment modifier, VM, and the Medicare EHR incentive program for eligible professionals into a single program under MIPS. There are four connected performance categories that will affect a clinician's future Medicare payments. Each performance category is scored independently and has a specific weight indicating its contribution towards the MIPS final score. The MIPS performance categories and their 2020 weights towards the final score are, as I mentioned before, quality 45%, promoting interoperability. Inter Operability, 25%, improvement activities, 15%, and cost, 15%, the final score being 100%. So then the quality performance category, uh, they mention here current program managers information. So they uh, talk about that they recommend list of new quality measures will be publicly available. So these are things that you can look up and find out what measures are required for that year, and it helps. Uh, groups prepare and make sure they are collecting the, the correct information. Um, so here are some future things that I guess are not included, but they're, they're mentioned here as high priority quality measures for future consideration. CMS will not propose the implement, implementation of measures that do not meet the MIPS criteria of performance and measure set gaps. The gap areas include but are not limited to orthopedic surgery, pathology, radiology, healthcare and substance use conditions, oncology, palliative care, and emergency medicine. MIPS has a priority focus on outcome measures, measures that provide new measure options within topped out specialty areas or measures that are relevant for specialty providers. CMS identified outcomes, measures, and opioid-related measures as high priority for future measure considerations. You would think that would already be a part of this whole program. Outcome measures show how a healthcare service or intervention influences the health status of patients. For example, the percentage of patients who died because of surgery, surgical mortality rates, or the rate of surgical complications uh, or hospital-acquired infections. CMS identifies the following as high priority for future measures. Number one, person and caregiver-centered experience and outcomes. This means that the measure should address the experience of each person and their family and the extent to which they are engaged as patient, as partners in their care. So imagine now you have to collect this type of information and it has to be accurate and it has to be consistent. You know, So these are the things that affect offices and add to what is required of them you know, on a daily basis, uh, whether you implement that into your EMR, into your triage, or if it's gonna be 
obtained by the provider directly. So, you know, stuff like that, you know, they're con considering moving forward. Um, number two here, communication and care coordinations. This means that the measure must address the promotion of effective communication and coordination of care and coordination of care and treatment with other providers. Again, something else that you have to measure and figure out how to accurately collect that information to know how you're coordinating care. And, and I know that some of that is already incorporated in a lot of electronic medical record systems as far as referrals and uh, coordinating care with other providers and treatment as well. Number three, efficiency and cost reduction. This means that the measure must address the affordability of healthcare, including unnecessary health services, inefficiencies in healthcare delivery, high prices, or fraud. Measures should cause change in efficiency and reward value over volume. And that's great. You know, you always want to make sure that you are providing good value for your patients and having a, a measure of that where, where you can um, be more effective and efficient. Um, as opposed to having the opposite effect. And being able to measure that is going to benefit a hospital, a practice, a surgery center, you know, so that information is very important. Patient safety is number four. This means that the measure must address either an explicit structure or process intended to make care safer or the outcome of the presence or absence of such a structure or process and harm caused in the delivery of care. This means that the structure, process, or outcome must occur as part of or as a result of delivery of care. And appropriate use is the last one they have here uh, for future consideration is CMS wants to specifically focus on appropriate use measures. This means that the measure must address appropriate use of services, including measures of overuse. So those type of uh, gathering that type of information helps the entire industry, right? Um, it is very cumbersome. A lot of these um, processes do require a lot of time um, and even additional manpower. And the reason I'm reading so much is because I kind of switched my career focus a bit at the time when these became very prevalent in medical offices. So a lot of it, I did not have my hand in directly. So um, while the information is available and I know many uh, other managers who have to submit uh, for MIPS and you know for all these different quality programs along the years, I'm just reading directly because I want to make sure I'm giving you accurate um, information. And of course, if if you are interested in learning more, you can always visit cms.gov. They have uh, many resources for practices and managers to use, and they are usually the point person if there are questions or if you're not sure of um, what you need you know, specifically from, from your group. So here are some of the measure titles uh, for 2020. Heart failure beta blocker therapy for left ventricular systolic dysfunction. So these are the type of things that people, uh, excuse me, that, that medical facilities and organizations, physicians, researchers, what have you, have to have information on, right? And, and collect so that they can submit uh, their packages, their information, their spreadsheets, whichever way they're doing that. Um, and I'm reading rent, there's 86 of them. Like I said, I'm just grabbing a few out of here. Uh, urinary incontinence, assessment of presence or absence of urinary incontinence in women aged 65 years and older, right? Uh, appropriate treatment for children with upper respiratory infection, diabetes, eye exam, 
Preventative care and screening, body mass index, BMI, screening and follow-up plan. That's that, you know, that touches a lot of groups. That's not a specialty. That's, you know, preventative care. Um, then we have here melanoma, coordination of care. Uh, falls, risk assessment, falls, plan of care. So that's going to be super prevalent in your long-term care facilities, right? Uh, elder maltreatment screen and follow-up plan. Again, uh, long-term care uh, and hospitals. Uh, stroke and stroke rehabilitation thrombolytic therapy. That's a very specific. Uh, they have Barrett's esophagus. So that's going to affect your GI, uh, you know, your GI groups. Um, use of high-risk medications in the elderly, preventative care and screening of tobacco use, screening and cessation intervention. So that's why when you go to the doctor, you're asked if you are a smoker, have you smoked, uh, when did you quit? All those pieces of information are recorded specifically and at times will be part of um, the submissions, you know, by by offices as to what per this is how they can find out what percentage of their population is affected by smoking or tobacco use and how many have uh, benefited from any intervention right here we have a uh, dementia safety concerns screening and follow-up for patients with dementia so you, you have to have that kind of follow-up there um what else what else what else let's see unplanned reoperation within the 30-day post-operative period. So that is going to directly affect all of your surgeons, right? So if, if I have a surgery and then within 30 days something else happens, I need a second surgery, they're going to keep they're keeping track of that, right? A surgical site infection, very important thing to keep track of. And uh, let's see something else. Here we got our allergy adult sinusitis, computerized tomography for acute sinusitis, overuse, meaning are we doing too many CTs for adult sinusitis for that specific diagnosis? So some of these are extremely specific and they're only going to apply to certain groups, right? And if you have a, a medical office that does has many different specialties within it and they're reporting as one group, then imagine how cumbersome of a process this is to report all of these measures um you know tobacco use they might have oncologists they might have gynecologists so any measure that applies they have to be uh, properly keeping track of these things in order to get their um incentive payments or adjustments and things that that apply that way so let's see so basically you know in, in order for most of the groups who participate in um, any Medicare, Medicaid program, they have to follow these programs. And it's, it's not really a choice because it's going to affect their payment. And if you wanna run as a group, you have to make sure that you are, you know, within line with the, the requirements. Um, luckily, now, as opposed to when this first started, there are tons of resources and many groups have someone who kind of specializes in that or a department who who specializes in um, gathering all the information that is required for reporting because it's very important. And I know um, in the past, uh, as a member of PACOM, that's something that was discussed among other managers. They can help each other and 
uh, provide different resources for each other regarding this because it is um, quite an undertaking, especially um, when you're first getting started and making sure that you're number one, gathering all the right information, that you know how you're gonna submit it, um, and that um, it it is complete because if it's not done right, then you're gonna have delays and you know you have to resubmit things and, and, and all of that. So I just wanted to touch a little bit on the quality measures why it's so important, uh, why uh, you know some of your providers and management may be very strict on certain information that is collected regarding your patients because it is very important. Uh, and your nursing staff and your physicians are also aware of the importance of this. So they're, when they are taking histories and, and meeting with patients, they are documenting all the information that is required and there are certain questions that they have to ask uh, to obtain this information from the patients. So that was our big topic of the day, quality measures. And again, CMS has all that information. If you want to have any, you know, additional information added, you can look it up. All right, so we're going to run, I'm going to move on over to the Medical Receptions Handbook to Success. And read an excerpt today is about organizational culture the values and behaviors that contribute to the unique social and physiological environment of an organization. That is what organizational culture is. So organizational culture includes an organization's expectations, experiences, philosophy, and values that hold it together, and is expressed in its self-image, inner workings, interactions with the outside world, and future expectations. It is based on shared attitudes, beliefs, customs, and written and unwritten rules that have been developed over time and are considered valid. Organizational culture is also called a corporate culture. So, you know, organizational culture, it definitely is is, is developed over time. It's developed by the people, um, you know, by uh, the, the standards, the location, the people who you're working with. And sometimes you can come into a situation where, you know, you may be working somewhere for a couple months and you just don't feel connected. You don't feel as part of the team as much. And it just may be that you are not used to the culture that that this particular facility or office has created so you're kind of struggling to be a part of something knowing that you are um, feeling out of place you know so what you can do is try to i would never say try to fit in but you want to see where you can connect with your colleagues where you can connect with the culture, you know, because it may not be at every point, you know, you might not want to celebrate everything everyone celebrates. You may not want to discuss, you know, your personal life during lunch. You might prefer to go take a walk and be by yourself. You know, you may not want to, um, uh, I'm trying to think of other things. But some of the things that you can fit in is, is how, how you're treating your patients, you know, how you are communicating with uh, your your colleagues as you guys are uh, working on projects together and maybe you need to be more open with your ideas and share information you know things that will help you connect uh, to to the actual workplace in a functioning um, good way to where you are actually growing as a part of the business as opposed to just feeling like you have to drag yourself there every day and you have no connection with these people and you know and also, if it is a culture that is unhealthy, then you have to think about if, if it's a good place for you. Because, you know, sometimes what 
some people and uh, providers even are comfortable with may not be something that you're comfortable with. You know, if you don't like the way people talk to each other, if you don't um, appreciate how they treat their patients or even talk about the patients when the patients are not, fit, you know, in front of them. And if things like that don't sit right with you, then you have to either do your best to, you know, don't fit into that because it's not positive and you continue to be positive and hope that it rubs off on someone or you have to decide if that is the best place for you. Because, you know, you go to work, you spend a lot of time there, you want to be uh, comfortable, you want to feel like a part of a team, you want to feel like you have shared goals um, in that workplace. It's not that you have to be everyone's best friend, but you also want to be, uh, feel welcomed and be welcoming um, in your in your space. So organizational culture is important. Some places it's great, some places it's toxic, and that's just the reality. So you always want to be mindful of that and, uh, you know, do your part to contribute. And hopefully it's a, it's a positive it's in a positive manner. Okay, so the um, we're gonna have our healthcare word of the day. Today we are going to um, discuss palliative care. Palliative care sees the person beyond the disease. It is a fundamental shift in healthcare delivery, and that's according to the CAPC.org um, for palliative care. What is palliative care? Palliative care is specialized medical care for people living with a serious illness. The type of care is focused on providing relief from the symptoms and stress of the illness. The goal is to improve quality of life for both the patient and the family. Palliative care is provided by a specialty trained team of doctors, nurses, and other specialists who work together with a patient's other, with a patient's other doctors to provide an extra layer of support. Palliative care is based on the needs of the patient, not on the patient's prognosis. It is appropriate at any age and at any stage in a serious illness, and it can be provided along with curative treatment. Provided along with curative treatment, excuse me. And uh, here it says palliative care improves quality of life and lowers symptom burden. Palliative care uh, spe specialists improve quality of life for the patients whose needs are most complex. Working in partnership with the primary physician, the palliative team care provides time to devote to intensive family meetings and patient family counseling, skilled communication about what to expect in the future in order to ensure that care is matched to the goals and priorities of the patient and the family, expert management of complex physical and emotional symptoms, including complex pain, depression, anxiety, fatigue, shortness of breath, constipation, nausea, loss of appetite, and difficulty sleeping. Coordination and communication of care plans among all providers and all across all settings. Numerous studies show that palliative care significantly improves patient quality of life and lowers symptom burden. Apart from being the right thing to do for patients, the improved quality of life also means that an encounter with the healthcare system is less stressful and traumatic for families. So palliative care is not the same as hospice. It is palliative care and can be used at uh, any point, you know, in a person's uh, process as they're, they're dealing with a disease, right? So it's just making sure that their symptoms are less of a burden and there is an expansive care team that is placed uh, responsible for this patient's care. And if you've ever had a family member who required that type of care, you know how important the people on these care teams are and how, how involved they become with your family and um, the process that you have to work through with your family. So it's a very 
important part of healthcare. It's a very, um, it's, it, it is a very connected um, care. They're very involved. You, you are able to reach out to these people. Um, it helps reduce admissions and emergency you know, transfers once you are set up with a palliative care team because you have the resources you need to help your family member and, uh, you know, make it through whatever they're going through. And it, and it definitely uh, reduces their their burden and, and hopefully their pain and, and negative symptoms that they're experiencing. But thank you so much for joining us on episode 18 of the Medical Receptionist Network podcast. Please, if you're interested in joining our podcast, feel free to visit our website or email at info at medicalreceptionistnetwork.com. Subscribe to our newsletter and visit our website, medicalreceptionistnetwork.com. Until next time, thank you so much. Thank you.